Hey, Forge family. Last podcast, we introduced the concept of spiritual formation and illustrated it with six observations from the life of Jesus. We use Galatians 4.19 as the launch point where Paul the Apostle was in labor again to see the pattern life of Christ formed into the lives of the new Galatian believers by the Holy Spirit and their own choosing of that life of Christ for themselves. Forge family, we want that spiritual formation in our hearts as well. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, it has been said that no one coasts, no one drifts into godliness. And we're asking you for godly disciplines to help us see form, the, the, see Christ formed inside of us. We long for his presence, but we want that part of him that stays and, and puts down roots so we begin to walk and think, and speak, and act like Jesus. In his name, amen. All right, in this podcast, number two, let's look together at one of those distinctive choices that Jesus made. Uh, You recall, Jesus spent 40 days alone in the Judean wilderness. That willful solitude, that silence that Jesus chose was for a purpose. Now, we know from Matthew 4 that the Holy Spirit led him out there into the wilderness. And yes, Satan proceeded to tempt him. But the scriptures, his relationship with the Father, and the angels all ministered to him and strengthened him. Over and over, Jesus chooses solitude to be refreshed and refocused. In Mark chapter 6, verses 31 and following, uh, Jesus is with his disciples, and they are just being overwhelmed by people coming and going, by ministry, needy people all the time. And it was such that the disciples who came to him to report their ministries, they couldn't make that report. And there wasn't even time to, to eat. And so he turned to them and said, come away. Come away with me. And he takes them by boat out onto the Sea of Galilee toward a lonely place, a desolate place. Now, his intent was, on arrival, to introduce them to solitude and the provision of God as they prayed. The rest of the text says that the multitudes behind them saw them leave, saw the trajectory of that boat, and ran to get ahead of them. To get to that place of solitude before them. So when the boat lands, there's a multitude of people there. Jesus, it says in in Mark 6, his heart was moved with compassion. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he taught them. And as the day passes later and later, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, This is a desolate place. There's nowhere here to get food. We need to send them home so that they can eat and they they can sleep. And and what does Jesus do? Jesus says, what do you have? What's in your hands? And what is produced is a little boy's lunch. Something his mama had put together for his day 
to be in that multitude. Four small loaves, five small loaves, probably barley. It was it, you know, only the wealthy ate wheat. So this was probably five small barley loaves, more like flatbread, and two cooked fish from a boy's lunch. The text says that Jesus took the food, raised it to heaven, and blessed it, and then began to break it, break the, break the flatbread, break the loaves, break the fish, and pass it to the disciples for distribution. The text goes on to say that after 5,000 men were fed all they cared to eat, it was then that, that Jesus turned to the disciples and he sent them back to Beth, Bethsaida. He put them in the boat and, and bid them go. Get away from the crowd. He turned to the crowd and he sends them home. He dismisses them. And then he himself turned and he departed into that desolate place to pray. See, it is this choice of solitude that recharges him. Through church history and many other written accounts of the come away, being alone, being silent, like there's, there's accounts like that of, of Jonathan Edwards. He was a pastor in New England and was part of the, the Great American Awakening with George Whitfield. Jonathan Edwards would get on his horse. He'd saddle his horse, ride the horse into the, into the forest, and then tether the horse and walk in the meadows. And part of the time was prayer. Part of the time was just waiting on God. Now his wife had children and a house to manage. And she couldn't get on the horse and go. But she would walk outside into the garden. And into the visible fields around their home. And she would pray and listen. Now it's here that I want to teach you <clears throat> two different words, two different forms of prayer. One you're very familiar with. One is probably brand new. One is labeled cataphatic prayer. Okay, it's a Greek word, and it, it basically describes word and image-based prayer. It's a form of prayer that rose in the Western Latin-speaking church after the fall of the Roman Empire. <clears throat> And it's, it's word-based, it uses images and concepts so that when we pray, and in our case, in the Western church here, we pray in words, we worship in words, we think in words, we counsel in words. Yeah, it, uh, we're, we're a very cataphatic-driven church. Okay? And even when we're silent, words and images flow through our minds. Now, the second form of prayer that I want you to hear about is called apophatic prayer. Uh, this is a form of prayer that rose in the Eastern Church, east of Constantinople, east of the Byzantine capital, and through, through uh, the Balkans, and through Syria, and the Middle East, and then north into Ukraine, and, and into Russia, and, and, up the, and literally up, up the, the Silk Road. Okay? Because this form of prayer... It, it means, the word apophatic means empty. So you don't come with a laundry list of things to pray about. You don't bring your concerns or other people's needs. 
when you walk or when you sit in prayer, you intentionally choose to listen and not to speak, not to stream words through your mind. Rather, you wait with expectancy that God is present and he is worth waiting for. Now, solitude and silence is not about a goal. It's not about hearing God speak. We may. We may hear him. But the the value of quieting your life and waiting on him is that you build in your soul a place where you honor him and you welcome him and you put him on notice that you're taking time to be with him. Solitude may be hard. It may be lonely at first. But be assured that wherever you are, the Lord God was there waiting for you to arrive. Let me suggest that that place of waiting is not for verbal prayer. It is there as a statement from you that you value lavishing alone time just to be in his presence. At first it may feel like a sacrifice of those minutes. And and your to-do list starts to stream through your head. And and to remind yourself. So set that list aside. You may literally have to get up, walk outside a room, place it on the floor, close the door. The list will be there when you're done. So you basically clear away the things that are streaming through your mind... And, and, and sort of clear your conscience, <clears throat> and you focus your heart. Now, this is mediated meditation, if you will, mediated waiting. You focus your heart on the meaning of some scripture, not the words of the scripture, but what God has reminded you of, taught you. And you, and you go, oh, and that sets the stage that he is present. And then you wait. Let the Savior and His Spirit surround you, love on you, refresh you. Now, God has led great men and women of God to come away, to seek Him. One example might be Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to the, to the uh, coastal cities of, of China. And his heart was deeply, deeply burdened for the fact that the multitudes in interior China never had a missionary penetrate those inner provinces with the gospel. And on a return to England, he went to Brighton and, and he left his, his, his hosts in the house on the beach and he went to the beach and he walked back and forth. And he was oppressed of spirit because of the size of the call he felt to penetrate the interior of China with the gospel. He, to go where no missionary had gone before. The burden of how to train those missionaries, how to support missionaries, how to manage such a mission was crushing him. It was there on the beach that the peace of God enveloped him. As he walked off that beach, Hudson Taylor came with a passionate belief that the God who had given the vision and the burden 
And the call to interior China would be the supplier of all that was needed. In a similar way, Billy Graham, um, in the late 1940s, was not the premier, the preeminent um, evangelist known in America. He, he was a young minister of the gospel. <clears throat> the man who had the press at that time was named Chuck Templeton. And at that time, Templeton was coming under the influence of men and scholars who did not believe in the truth and the inspiration of the scriptures. Templeton had approached Billy Graham and said to him that if you continue to believe that the Bible uh, is true, was inspired of God, that was setting him up for intellectual suicide. That rattled Billy Graham's cage. Shortly after that, Billy had to minister at a youth conference in the San Bernardino Mountains in Southern California. Graham knew he needed time to get his, his beliefs sorted straight. So after he finished one evening of ministry to youth, Billy went off alone into the forest. And in the forest, he ran scripture through his mind where the scripture said repeatedly, the word of the Lord came. And the phrase, thus saith the Lord. And Billy knew that over, in over 2,000 places in the scriptures, those phrases appeared. Then, he said, he meditated on Christ, who fulfilled the law and the prophets, quoting constantly from Scripture. And the Scriptures weren't wrong for Jesus. Billy cried out, Lord, what about me? What shall I do? He knew that intellectual grasp of the Bible was not enough. He turned and went back to his cabin, got his Bible, and went back into the trees. And he walked until he found a stump and placed the open scriptures on that stump and knelt down. And he prayed and he said, Oh God, I cannot prove certain things. I cannot answer some of the questions Chuck is raising and the others are raising. But I accept this book by faith as the word of God. And then he waited. That night, shaped Billy Graham to be a man of the Bible. And he still holds high the word of God. He's an elderly statesman. He has Parkinson's. But what comes out of his mouth is scripture. Chuck Templeton went on to deny his faith in God. The practice of solitude is to temporarily and quietly withdraw from people. Joanna Wesley was the mother of many children, among them John and Charles Wesley, who John and Charles were intimately involved in starting a, the movement called Methodism. It became the Methodist Church Global. Joanna had an active bunch of children, but in her kitchen she would sit and she would pull her long apron up over her head 
and to be able to focus on the Bible and her Lord. The older children got that signal that it was time for them to collect the younger ones and just quiet them and move them out of the kitchen. Now, was there silence? No. But she stepped away from the activity and the brouhaha of little children for brief minutes to be alone with and pray to her Lord. Now, silence. Silence is the temporary and voluntary choice to not speak. Okay, it's not that you're walking in a quiet place. That helps. Okay. But but the trick is to not use your mouth. And and to be to step away from the sound and the fury of life around you and to wait or walk with God in a place where you're alone with him. All right, Forge family. Much has been written on these two parts of spiritual formation. Our Lord Jesus so valued them that he repeatedly rose to be alone with God in a private place. Let me encourage you. Let's practice this week. Let's just take five minutes each. Solitude, five minutes of silence. And wait to see what happens as you start to build that place in your soul. See, it's not a competition how quickly this happens. It's not a competition to see who hears from God. It is a long distance journey, lifelong journey with God to become like Jesus. All right, Forge family. I love you. See you soon.